Hello, my name is Rob Edwards, and this is my podcast. Well, welcome everybody. Three chapters, three months, three podcasts. This is pretty darn exciting. It all seems to be going according to the master plan. Uh, chapter three then, coming up very soon. A uh, bit before that, I just want to give you an update about what's going on in the world of Storycast Rob. First of all, I've been looking at the numbers behind the scenes about how many people are listening to these podcasts, and I have to say, so far, it looks like the plan is actually working. Uh, it's been the busiest month ever on Storycast, Rob. Uh, I'm actually slightly worried I'm starting to run out of bandwidth on my website, but that's another issue. Um, thank you. If you've listened to any of the podcasts in this last month, thank you very much for doing so. If you're one of the five people, I think, according to my numbers, who've actually worked their way through all of my old podcasts, then really, really thank you for that. I really hope everybody uh, is finding something to enjoy from them all. Uh, if you did like what you've heard, uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter, give me a tweet. I'm at StoryCastRob. And you can always find out more about what's going on in my life uh, by checking out my blog at www.storycastrob.co.uk slash WP or by following me on Facebook, facebook.com slash storycastrob. Enough of all that. Uh, let me also tell you what's going on in the world of writing and Inklings Press, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we are very, very close in Inklings Press to having our first paperback editions of some of our books. Uh, we're going back to the start. first couple of books uh, will be combined into a single anthology. I'm not in that, so, you know, go buy it anyway. But the one to wait for, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> that's really bad of me. I really can't say that. No, go buy the first one. The first one's brilliant. Uh, but the second one coming out will be Tales from the Universe, which is where my story, uh, Upgrade to Murder, first appeared. Uh, and we're hoping to get those uh, in the next month or two. So keep an eye out. Uh, those will be coming soon. Also news from Inklings Press... Uh, we are open to submissions for our next two anthologies, Tales from the Underground and the as-yet-untitled Next Alternate Earths uh, anthology. Uh, if you are a writer and feel like submitting, uh, then go check out uh, inklingspress.com uh, and see all the details there about the submissions. I'm actually taking a bit of a, uh, a submissions editor role on Tales from the Underground, uh, so I will be reading every single one of the stories we get submitted to us uh, and um, having first say on whether whether we like the things which are going to be in there or not. Final Inklings-related news. Uh, you can get a little short story from me. It's only like a thousand words, uh, but for free. Uh, it's called The Wizard of Little Coverley, uh, and uh, there's a link to how to get that from InstaFreebie uh, on my blog, so go check that out uh, and get a free copy of The Wizard of Little Coverley and subscribe to the Inklings newsletter uh, when you do so. Brilliant. So, busy, busy times. Uh, also behind the scenes, I'm working on edits uh, for two novels, Written Blood and Silver, the one you're going to hear today, uh, and my other superhero project, uh, I'm working on edits for that as well. So it's busy, busy times. But onwards to Writ in Blood and Silver, which is the novel I'm reading to you here in my podcast. And we'll start with, previously, in Written Blood and Silver... Dun, 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 dun. I'm still working on that musical sting. That really wasn't very good. 1999, and Matt Chambers is a computer programmer working in London, commuting via the London Underground, the Tube, every day. 
he has been seeing some very strange things on his commutes. His friend Dave offers to help him look into this, but goes missing. While Matt is recovering from the shock of this, uh, he is attacked by demons on the underground that look like men dressed in red. He's rescued from these demons by a wizard cursed to only repeat his prophecies, and a man who claims to have lived in Atlantis, and died in Atlantis, but is now back. And now, the continuation. Chapter 3. M.I.R. Matt held up a hand. It was all too much. I'm sorry, Broden. This stuff is all very real to you. Clearly. But you're asking an awful lot of me. It's... Look, I'm sorry, it's ridiculous. I just want to go home. He looked at the door over Broden's shoulder. I can go home, right? It would be better if you stayed, lad. Better for you. Broden took a step towards Matt and loomed. The door felt like a long way away. The seeker must find, said Wessex. Broden stepped back again, gesturing to the door. Remember, lad, telling all this to anyone won't help you. You won't be believed. Broden, I don't believe. Not all of it. But I'll tell who I like. I can show them where it happened. The driver on the train, the passengers, would have seen some of it. Perhaps, but probably not. The demons are good at hiding, even in plain sight. Very few normal people can see them. They move amongst the mundanes at will, sucking them dry, stealing their life energy, sending it on to Volnark, so he can grow strong. A thought had sparked in his head, despite himself, Matt asked. The stolen power. On the platform, Wessex said something about a stolen power. That's what he meant? Broden nodded. Probably. Like most prophecies, Wessex knows the words, but the meaning is up to him, to us, to interpret. Matt paused, ready to ask something new, but... No. He said. I don't know what's really going on. Perhaps I never will. But I'm not getting involved any further. I am leaving. The truth will come only when he has destroyed himself. Reborn, renewed, the seeker must be made ready. The guide must lead, the sword must guard, but only the seeker may find. The words followed Matt out of the door. Where to stop believing, that was the question. As the train took him further away from Broden and Wessex, Matt found himself believing less and less. Some of it he had to accept. He had seen fire coming from Wessex's hand. So that proved that at least some of what they'd said must be true, doesn't it? Well, it felt like he was coming out from under a spell, certainly. But perhaps it was a spell of a different kind. As a kid, he'd seen magicians on TV, and it was easy to say, there's a hole in the table, or he's marked the cards. But then he'd gone to see one on stage, and somehow it was real. With the same tricks going on in front of him, suddenly it had felt like the smoke and mirrors were the real deal. Is that what had happened here? He couldn't think of any way to fake fire leaping from his hands, but that didn't mean it couldn't be done. He'd never noticed an obvious way to make the elephant behind the curtain disappear, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't one. 
who would explain some things about the setup that had been weird. Wessex had appeared to burn a man. There had been fire and smoke. Didn't tube stations have fire alarms, smoke detectors? Shouldn't there have been an evacuation underway? And why had everyone suddenly managed to arrive at the same place Matt was? There seemed to be an awful lot of coincidence for Muggers, Broden Wessex, the police and the, the demons, all to appear in the seven minutes while he'd been waiting on the tube platform. If it had all been arranged, choreographed in advance, it might have been possible. Believe the lie, Dave used to say. Perhaps the whole thing had been staged for his benefit, the muggers, the police, even the men in red had been in on it. Perhaps. Perhaps. But then had come the moment he'd pushed one of the men in red under a train, his own brush with death as the train had almost pulled him under its wheels. If the man in red had been an actor, what did that make Matt? A murderer. Oh God, he'd forgotten about that. True or not, Broden's story did not absolve him from the fact that he had deliberately pushed someone under a train. Matt felt queasy. Self-defence, self-defence, he told himself, but he couldn't stop the voice at the back of his head that said, So? The door's opening made Matt look up. He was home. He stumbled off the train, gasped at the cold night air, and staggered down the platform. He was exhausted. The stress, the confusion, the danger, it all caught up with him. He propped himself against the wall, hands on knees, head bowed, and drew in lungs full of air. What was he going to do? Should he go to the police? Destroyed himself. He didn't think he could take any more. He was the lowest he could imagine, physically drained, mentally strained, emotionally wasted. Dave, demons, murder, magic, destroy himself. Each thought sparked another, and another, and another. His thoughts circled faster and faster. He was making himself dizzy, just standing there. As he heard the next train approaching, he found himself staring at the tracks. Destroy himself, he thought. His stomach gave another lurch at the dark thought that flitted across his mind. Oh God, I'm going to be sick, Matt thought. He ran. He had to get home. He'd be safe at home. He ran as fast as he could, bouncing off walls to help guide him, gathering scrapes and bruises as he stumbled, fell, and picked himself up again. He dashed across the road, paying no attention to the squeal of tyres or the angry horn sounding behind him. He ran to the door of his flat, hit the door of his flat with such a force that it rattled on its hinges. He fumbled for his keys, and as he did so, he became aware of eyes watching him from the darkness around him. It took three attempts to get the key in the lock, and another two to remember which way to turn the key. He fell through the doorway, then slammed it shut behind him. The eyes had followed, though, in the shadows at every corner, even turning on the light only made them retreat a little, around the corners, out of sight. Matt sat, slumped against the door. His eyes closed. He slept. Sometime during the night, he must have stood and walked to his bed. He couldn't recall, but he woke fully clothed, lying on his duvet, sunlight behind the curtains. His alarm must have been sounding for an hour. He shut it off, pulled himself out of bed, and walked slowly through to the living room. He picked up the phone and dialed. He mumbled at his boss's voicemail when it answered, then hung up. 
Next, he moved to the bathroom. His face in the mirror was pale, apart from the dark red rims around his eyes and two vivid scars on his cheek. His hair was plastered against his forehead and was sticking up at the back. The face looked thin, hollow-cheeked, the skin tight. He looked as though he'd gone a week without sleep. He looked away. He turned the shower on, got in and sat down. Hot water pummeled him. He sat even after the hot water ran out, the sudden cold suiting his mood. He sat for an hour, more, until he'd made his decision. Right, he said. Matt stood and turned off the shower. His clothes were sodden and hung heavy on his shoulders. He undressed and threw the clothes into the shower. They could stay there for now. As he cleaned his teeth, Matt mulled. I can't go ahead not knowing. But I can't go back to Wessex and Broden either. They'll just repeat their story. No, there was only one way to confirm what was going on. He would have to go looking for the man in red. He went to find some new clothes. If this was all true, it would be dangerous. If there was even the remotest chance that Broden's tale was right, the men in red were not just going to chat to him over coffee. He needed a weapon, really. Something to protect himself with if it turned nasty. A kitchen knife? He had a feeling that using a knife effectively would take some skill. Plus, the police really frowned on people carrying knives. No, he needed something which would lend some force, but didn't take any great skill to use. A club, basically. But what did he have that would fit that bill? He looked about his room. He really should tidy up. He suspected that one of the reasons that Kate hadn't done the moving-in-together thing was the state of his room. So what if he had to step over boxes to get from the door to the bed? He knew where everything was, mostly. What was their club like, though? Ah, his old pool cue might do the job. The bottom half was well-weighted. It could probably do some damage. Yeah, and if the police ask, I'm just going to a game. Armed and dangerous, yeah. Matt set out. The September morning was grey and threatened rain, but despite everything, Matt's mood was lightning. In the, literally, cold light of day, the more fantastic elements of last night were easier to dismiss. He tried whistling a jaunty tune, but it died on his lips. No, not quite there yet. He stopped at the corner shop and picked up some supplies. With a pocket full of chocolate bars, he was ready for anything. The trip into Liverpool Street was surprisingly easy. It had been too long since he'd travelled outside rush hour in the morning. There was plenty of seats when he got on, and he was able to sit back and relax, studying a pocket tube map while he absent-mindedly took a bite out of a Mars bar. Mostly I've seen them on the central line, he thought. But then that's the line I take to work every day. How to find a man in red? Was there any place they were more likely to be? He wished he'd Dave's map, but Dave had probably had it on him when he... when... Fine, then. We'll be logical about it. Go into Liverpool Street, take the circle line all the way around, then try crisscrossing on the other lines. I must run into one of them eventually. The train pulled out of Stratford and into darkness. Something's not right, Matt thought suddenly. But what was it? He looked around quickly, his hand going to the case of his pool cue. 
the tube map he'd been holding fluttered to the floor. What is it? Where? He undid the stud on the case and began to pull the bottom half of the queue out. There was no sign of anything unusual, and there she counted the empty seats. He racked his brain, trying to think. What was so out of place that it was making him so twitchy? When the penny dropped, he had to laugh. He got a range of odd looks from his fellow passengers for the outburst, but he ignored them, refastened the case, and fished the tube map back off the floor. No headache. Strange to think he was such a part of his daily life that its lack was enough to send him into fits of paranoia. Still, he could get used to this. Much more pleasant than the daily grind. He put the map back in his pocket and looked around the ledge between seat back and window. Predictably, a folded copy of the Metro newspaper lay there. Matt picked it up and flicked through it. If any paper was going to mention a fight on a tube platform that ended with one person burned, another hacked with a sword and a third thrown under a train, it would be the Metro. Nothing. Not a word. Perhaps the police are keeping it quiet, he thought, but didn't believe it. He was beginning to accept that something odd was going on. He was still not ready to buy into Broden's story wholesale, though. This is Liverpool Street. Change for Metropolitan Hammersmith City and Circle Lines, and for Network South East and Intercity Services. Here goes, Matt muttered under his breath. It had been a fairly uneventful trip so far. No sign of any men in red at all, not even when the train had stopped at Victoria, and considering how busy the station could get, he had expected to see one or more there. In fact, he was fairly sure he'd seen one at Victoria a few weeks ago. He was trying to remember where the dots on Dave's map were. This time through, though, Victoria had been distinctly men in redless. He was beginning to wish he'd brought a book. Actually, he was long since past that point. He'd started reading the adverts in the carriage in the hope of finding some secret message in them. Worse, he was beginning to think he saw one. There were so many ads for insurance. Car insurance, holiday insurance, off-piste ski insurance. He was starting to get disturbed that he didn't have any car insurance, until he remembered that he didn't have a car. The overall message was, Things can go bad at any time and you're not ready for it. It wasn't building his confidence. Another popular type of ad seemed to be emphasising that you were stuck on a tube train while the rest of the world was going on without you. Holidays, international calls, finance advice. It made Matt think he should be out there, moving and shaking. Then there were the ads for the air conditioning units, the water coolers, even the vitamins. Being down here is really bad for you, their message said, and Matt had to agree. Tube adverts were depressing things. They were coming up to Baker Street, and still no sign of men in red. He'd tried moving from carriage to carriage on the way around. He'd even changed train a couple of times. But the only thing he achieved was not having anywhere to sit. He had had a couple of frights. People, normal people, did wear red after all. But Matt was holding out for bald as well, and so far, nothing. He was starting to suspect that the men in red only stalked during rush hour, or late at night. Perhaps they were like vampires and didn't like the sun, though it was fairly easy to avoid sun on the tube. Perhaps they only used the central line. No, no, he had definitely seen them on other lines before. But 
I should try the central line anyway. I can nip down to Bond Street from here, then head home if there's nothing to go on. I'm getting bored of this game. And he was. His lighter mood of earlier was forgotten, though on the upside his headache hadn't returned yet. He left the train and went in search of the Jubilee line. He liked Baker Street Station, mostly. It was a great old-fashioned station. It was all over the place, as the various architects over the years had tried to accommodate each new line coming through it. It was the sort of station you could get well and truly lost in, if they took down all the signs, anyway. The sort of station your discerning American werewolf might stalk. The only downside to Baker Street, as far as Matt was concerned, was that it always made him think of that song. He quite liked that song, but he only knew the words of about two lines of it, and they played around and around in his head the entire time he was there. Winding his way down to the Jubilee line, he was beginning to feel light-headed. It had been a long morning. Even though all he had done was stand around on trains, he was dead on his feet. Fortunately, a train was pulling up just as he reached the platform. He boarded, fell into a seat, and got out another bar of chocolate. As the train pulled away, Matt realised his headache had finally arrived. He wasn't surprised. The train lights flickered off, and then on again. At the end of the carriage stood a bald man, dressed entirely in red. Perhaps Broden had messed with his expectations, but this time Matt was less sure that it was a man at all. His, its, features were too narrow. Its expression, its clothes, its stance, they all screamed wrong. Matt was beginning to wonder what exactly he intended to do with his pool cue. In fact, he was beginning to wonder what he was going to do at all. This had seemed a perfectly reasonable plan when he had been sitting fully clothed under a cold shower. It seemed to be lacking in several key areas now. The man in red began to move up the carriage towards Matt. The people it passed didn't seem to notice it, but Matt could see it was doing something. People grimaced or flinched as it passed. One woman, reading a newspaper, shot a look of disgust at her neighbour as he jostled her. A student type turned up his walkman, much the annoyance to the people around him. Every one the man in red passed was changed, sometimes in small ways, changed body language, a darker expression. Others were more obviously physically affected. One man had been reading a paper a moment before, but fell asleep as the man in red passed. He slumped to one side, ended leaning against his neighbour. She pushed him away angrily. Matt stared, horrified. He could almost see something, a trick of the light, like a heat haze over the heads of the other passengers. Where the man in red walked, it left a wake of twisted disturbance in the haze. It seemed to be drawing it in, taking apart from each of the people it passed. The man in red was closer now, only a few steps away. Matt's throat had gone dry, and his headache was getting worse. He unfastened the case of his cue, and gripped the sturdier bottom half. What could he do? Pain like daggers of ice shot through his temples, his vision blurred with pain. What a damn stupid time for his headache to... Oh my God. His headache? The man in red was causing it. No. No, you're not taking anything from me. Matt's headache vanished. The relief was incredible. The man in red looked up, then cast about, searching. Its gaze fell on Matt. 
You, it growled. And there we go. Chapter 3 ends on a proper, good old-fashioned cliffhanger there. Tune in next month to find out how Matt deals with the fact he's been spotted by one of the men in red. Chapter 3 was an interesting one for me. Um, Before I read it to you this time, I had to do a bit of an edit on it. Because when I wrote it originally back in 1999, I had started this chapter with Matt on the train and flashing back to the end of the conversation with Broden and Wessex. And reading it in the full light of whatever, I I really did think that that was a bit clumsy and clunky. So I I, I did a quick and dirty edit to get that back into a um, chronological order. Uh, Also, I found that Matt, in this chapter, uh, as I wrote it, uh, was emotionally all over the place. When he went to go on to the train to go looking for the men in red, he was actually upbeat and chipper, which seemed completely out of phase with everything else that had been going on in the last day. Uh, So I've toned that down a bit. Uh, He is cheering up, but not really necessarily bright and happy uh, when he goes out looking for the men in red. The other thing about this chapter, which I think is quite interesting uh, to me, (laughs) whether to you, I don't know, uh, is it's a quieter chapter. Not as much actually happened uh, with this at least not on the surface. I I hope I've hinted at a few things to come uh, and set a few things in motion. Uh, One of the things which maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not, uh, is that Matt has been changed by the experience of the fight on the uh, tube platform and, of course, now with meeting uh, Broden and Wessex. Uh, And actually what we're seeing in this chapter uh, is without really realising what he's doing, Matt is taking on the mantle of the seeker, which is how uh, Wessex addresses him in the prophecy. He's going out looking. One thing which I think is still perhaps not obvious, and perhaps I do need to go back and make another edit on this chapter for this, though, uh, is quite what Matt is intending to do if he were to find a man in red. Uh, He is not taking that pull cue with an intent to go and beat up a man in red. He's not about that. He's not a violent person. The pull cue is only there for self-defence. What he's actually doing is going out there and looking for proof. I mean, I do say that in the story, but I'm not sure it's necessarily clear. He's going out there to try and find a man in red to prove to himself, without the influence of Wessex and Broden around, uh, that these men in red are a real thing. Anyway, there we go. Uh, That was chapter three. Uh, Chapter four is coming next month. Uh, where we see the encounter between Matt uh, and the man in red, uh, and we meet Matt's girlfriend as well, if I remember correctly, uh, and Matt has a nice steak meal at some point. Uh, spoilers, uh, Matt does survive the encounter with the man in red. And I've instantly regretted saying that, but hey, it is only chapter three of the novel. You would kind of expect the main protagonist to survive longer than that. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this one. Don't forget, feel free to tweet me at StoryCastRob. Let me know what you think of the the novel so far. uh, And I will see you next time. Cheers.